Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, Episode 6, even though it says Episode 7 in my show notes, which I now need to fix. We're here today. Matt is looking chipper. Why are you in such a good mood, Matt? Oh, I don't know. I really like Thursdays. I've always liked Thursdays. Yeah. I've always liked Thursdays. Thor is my favorite Norse god, and uh, I think we had a really good pudding at primary school on Thursdays for school dinners. So ever, ever since then, it's been my favorite day of the week. It looks like the weather's really nice there, too. I can see the sun shining on your face. Yeah, sun shining. It's a spring day. The spring peepers have started. Do you have spring peepers down your way? Uh, I think we call those birds. No, <laughs> you, don't, you almost certainly don't call them birds because they're frogs. Oh, they're frogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're frogs. And uh, it's like one of those signs that you look for. And I just heard them on my run yesterday. So... There is snow on the ground, uh, unfortunately, but other than that, yeah, things are looking up. Good. Um, so we've had a little bit of a mix-up here with our, our show's recording schedules, and I'm pretty excited to, uh, not that our guest this week is, is uh, <laughs> bad, but I'm excited about next week's uh, recording. We're going to have um, some cool stuff going on, uh, and so we are kind of hopping back and forth between show notes, and we'll start with news. And here's a really exciting thing that Matt's put in the notes that I'd never heard of until five minutes ago. Uh, Ubuntu's coming to Windows? How's that possible? Uh, well, I, I okay, so I don't really know anything about Windows. <laughs> but um, but people that I, you know, just sort of trust and like on Twitter suddenly started talking about Windows, and that sort of just never happens. So I was like, oh, you know, my curiosity um, was piqued. I went and read uh, what Microsoft had done, and apparently in Windows 10, the command thing, term, I guess, is, I don't think they call it a terminal, but the thing, the black thing that you type commands into in Windows, apparently now has a shell in it, and, and it's a kind of um, Linux emulator. I gather it's not really Linux. It's uh, it's kind of magic. It's the, the Windows developers have um, built an environment that is basically a kind of um, a, a version of Ubuntu. Uh, so n not only can you sort of do things like LS and CD and type all those things that, from my memory, you can't type in Windows because it's all dirt and other things, yes. um, but you can even do things like run Python in there. So um, potentially huge for these, like the people that were talking about it were people who were involved in things like software carpentry and trying to, you know, Having people come to classes with with Windows machines and, and everything's kind of different and weird, um, that this will be a kind of uh, you know a leveling of the playing field, so to speak. Awesome! I've been using PowerShell for years, and uh, that doesn't really cut it. So um, yeah, there's awesome. other, there's like SigWin and there's these other kind of uh, funky uh, emulators or virtual environments or whatever they are. But this is like built in. Uh, so available everywhere. You don't have to install anything. And yeah, I'll shut up because I don't have anything else. Okay. So the next thing on this list is uh, holographic computing in geophysics. 
there's a GoFundMe campaign that's being uh, uh, spouted uh, and advertised by uh, a School of Mines uh, student, or has he graduated? He's graduating this summer, I believe. Excellent. Um, well, it's a cool project. We have a link to the to the GoFundMe page on um, on the show notes, and you should definitely check it out. It's uh, I don't know what it is, but, <laughs> but it looks. I think he basically he wants to buy the, uh, a Hololens. Another, I can't like we've got two Microsoft things in the news at, at once. So um, he wants to buy a Microsoft Hololens headset, um, and, and you know I might not have paid all that much attention to it, um, uh, but but Elias Arias, who the, the student who's trying to raise this three thousand bucks, he needs to buy the thing. Um, He's a, a veteran of two of our hackathons. Uh, I know he's awesome. He's full of energy. Like he's he's legit. So he'll 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 like totally follow through on this and uh, and do something cool. So he's one of Dave Hale's students. You know, the the, the guy. I, I, I also just love the idea, or I love to see, you know, people like breaking out of the mold. Asking the community, the geophysics community, to support them in their research and just going after a little bit of money. So if you've got 10, 20 bucks to see someone do something really cool with technology for geophysics, uh, go for it. Cool. Yeah, I met him at SCG last year and at your hackathon. It was he's a smart guy and he was working on a really interesting project over there. So it'll it'll be exciting to see what he does. He's really creative. So, yeah. um, so what's going on with you, man? Yeah. We uh, well, this has been a, a cool week because we've. <laughs> well, you know what it's like in consulting, right? You, you're looking around for projects. Sometimes you don't have enough to do. Uh, then suddenly you've got tons to do because you've spent so much effort looking for projects when you are <laughs> underutilized. Um, so we're kind of uh, we pitched a project, a machine learning project, to a kind of traditional uh, subsurface data broking and brokerage type company um, in Calgary last fall. And um, and they went for it and actually got some funding for it too because it's kind of a researchy project. And um, anyway, so we I've kind of been dying to get to it since like last September, and finally um, we got the bandwidth for it now. So we're just just ramping up on that. It's basically lithology prediction um, from from logs. And yeah, and so so it's been kind of a fun learning week. I've been doing lots of. Um, Tutorials and finding GitHub repos and reading about deep learning and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and behind it, so sort of simultaneously, we've got these projects Striplog and Welly, uh, which which are kind of for handling some of this subsurface data. And we delivered those to a government project. They're open source um, projects, but we're also going to be using them in this new project. So they're going to be getting a lot of new functionality around, like essentially munging. LAS files and other subsurface data into nice kind of n-dimensional matrices that you can use for, for for machine learning tasks. So that's where we're at. Sounds pretty awesome. How about you? What's new? Are you? I know you were uh, rattling a lot of cages over the last few weeks. Yeah, um, and actually, I'm going to save that for to discuss with our guest since he's a data scientist. But I'll, I'll mention the two other things here real quick. One is an idea that I had for you and or the software underground community, which is real-time joint migration and version updates. Uh, so my, my vision here, and this is impossible on real data because it's too big, uh, is to have even just full waveform inversion real-time updates, but JMI would be 
cooler um, where you'd have as the as the algorithm runs across the data, like if it's in the shot domain, the velocity, this is in the case of just full waveform version, the velocity model, you'd watch, you'd have a picture of it, and it would just clean up as the thing ran across the data and just get crisp and clear and resolved. So that's an idea. Um, I'm not going to do anything with it because it's too much work, but hopefully somebody will run with it. Um, and I'm willing to, to help anybody out that wants to go with it. So um, related to that is the... Uh, Leading edge tutorial in uh, on full waveform inversion that's uh, going to come out, I guess, in what did you say, August? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, that is one of the months. Okay. It could run. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to get started on that finally this week. And uh, there's a, a guy, Aaron Stanton, that's going to be helping us. He's a geophysicist in, hmm. I think he's in Calgary now, um, who is a specialist in that domain. So it'll be so that's enough geo stuff. Let's let's get move on to something important like our guest, Dr. Ethan, Ethan Rosenthal. He's a data scientist at Birchbox. He's a pretty big deal over there. Um, he's got a website which is ethanrosenthal.com. Check it out. It's quite nice. Uh, he's got a blog there, blog.ethanrosenthal.com, uh, where he's got all sorts of data sciencey stuff. He's got all sorts of stuff about math and physics and Happy things like that. He's on Twitter if you want to ping him at EP Rosenthal. And he's got a whole bunch of stuff on GitHub. His name is Ethan Rosenthal. And um, you should check him out. He's got tons of publications, scientific and otherwise. Um, very complicated stuff. If you're a specialist in any of the many fields that he is a specialist in, you will gain a lot more reading them than I did. <laughs> but uh, you can find a list of them on his LinkedIn profile. So with that, hey, Ethan, what's up? Good morning. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. So Ethan is in uh, New York City, in, in the big city. And uh, tell us a little bit about your experience there at Birchbox. Uh, experience has been great. So I started working at Birchbox uh, June of last year, so June 2015. And I, I graduated with my PhD in physics in May. So I'm like kind of new to the working world, you know, having a job like normal people. But it's been great so far. <laughs> well, <laughs> I envy and don't envy you. Uh, Matt and I have been trying to avoid a real job for a long time, but uh, <laughs> it's got to be nice. And you're working on some cool projects. So um, Ethan and I have discussed in the past uh, his projects at, at, at a high level uh, because I don't understand them at a low level. But um, all of them relate in some way to data science. So before we, we know we get into what you actually do, what the hell is data science? Everybody talks about this, and I, I can't understand it. That's that's a great question. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't think a lot of people know. There's like a lot of different definitions and things like that. But maybe maybe an easier way to think about it is like, what do data scientists do at companies? Uh, and I think there's somebody from Twitter. I think wrote some blog post on this that there's kind of two types of data scientists, and I I agreed with this that there's like there's like really good analysts. And then there's people who build like products for companies. Uh, so like maybe from the analyst side, uh, it's somebody who can, you know, query a database of the company and maybe build out a predictive model for the company uh, to like forecast different metrics for them and things like that. So not just maybe not like just a simple model, but like a more advanced uh, predictive model. Uh, and maybe they can 
kind of deploy this on an API. So they have some like software chops in order to deal with this. Um, so that, those are like the analysts, I think. Uh, and then the other side are like the more product people. So uh, a very obvious one is, you know, at Birchbox, we're an e-commerce company. And so building out recommendations, uh, training recommendation algorithms, and, you know, rolling that all up into a software package where you are constantly ingesting data, training algorithms, and uh, rewriting recommendations to a database and deploying that kind of building out those products is is the other side. So it's more, I guess it's more software-y uh, and maybe less business-y. Uh, so those are like the two ends of the spectrum, I think. It sounds like you do a combination of both things. Yeah, I think more, at Birchbox, I do more of the product side of things. So um, when you're working, are you uh, doing, uh, do you find that you, you do a whole lot of uh, customized analysis on products? on, on uh, data or do you, as you say, in product development, uh, update current uh, pieces of software to do more specific analysis? I, yeah, I think it's more of the latter, but more so like, uh, so for example, we have an algorithm that does computer recommendations, but uh, you can make these algorithms better. You can ingest more data into them. And so kind of prototyping next generation models and then also deploying those models. So writing the production code for that is tell us what an you, example. Tell us what you mean by uh, the customer uh, predictions, the customer uh, recommendations. Sure. So uh, recommendations are, are a big thing that we do. You know, Amazon does this, Netflix does this. Uh, and so the idea is that the idea behind a recommendation algorithm is that you usually want to do one of two things. So you have a customer and you want to recommend the top products that you think that customer would like to, let's say, purchase for a company. If you're Netflix, the top movies that somebody would like to watch uh, or given some product, what are other products that are similar that you might recommend? So, for example, if I'm on Birchbox, I'm searching for a particular type of shampoo. I might recommend other shampoos that are similar, but maybe I would, you know, want to purchase those instead. And so it's the in the nomenclature of the field, it's like user to product recommendation. So given a user, what are the top products? Or product to product recommendation. So given a product, what are the top other products that are similar to that? Um, in the terminology of magicians everywhere, that's called <laughs> crazy magic. How do you do it? Uh, with proprietary algorithms. Now they're, they're pretty general, the algorithms, uh, the basic idea, the, the most basic idea behind recommendation algorithms is that you have a matrix. Uh, so you have users, let's say is your row. So each row is a different user at your company and each column is a different product. Uh, and you have this matrix and the elements of the matrix are how that user interacted with that product. So uh, one example might be clicks on a website. So uh, the number of times that this user clicked on this product. So you have this matrix, but it's really sparse because a lot of people have not clicked on a lot of products. I've watched a lot of things on Netflix, but I definitely haven't watched all of the things. Um, and so the idea behind the algorithm is that you want to fill in those empty spaces. Uh, you know, the idea is that you want to be able to predict for this customer, for those products for which they have not interacted with, kind of what score would they give that that product? Um, and the way you do it is through optimization, through minimizing or maximizing some function, which is kind of like 
all of scientific programming, I think. Sure. <laughs> a good majority of it. Yeah. True. Uh, determinist, deterministic problems are finished. We've solved them all. That's my claim. Sure. They're easy. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah. So, so it sounds like uh, you and Matt have been working on some similar types of stuff. Um, in fact, there are many different optimization problems in the geo world. Um, Matt, you want to give us an example of a of a geo optimization problem that you've been working on? Um, well, I'm I'm quite interested in, in recommendation engines actually, from because we've been doing some stuff as a hobby around. Um, uh, literature for for quite a while, and I, I feel like there's there's a huge sort of gap, at least in geophysics and geoscience in general, there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the 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 problem that I'm really interested in is the one that three D seismic data presents, um, because it's such a it's such it's such compelling and beautiful data. Um, and I, and I feel like a lot of the things we do, like horizon interpretation and quantitative interpretation, as people call stuff like AVO analysis and rock physics and so on, sort of just scratching, like it scratches kind of one dimension of the data at a time, if you like. There's so much embedded in there. It's so hard to kind of, as a human, you know, just human level interpretation go, oh yeah, I can kind of solve all of this simultaneous equation. Um, and you know, just it can't be done. Basically, there's no grand so, unified theory where you put in all the data and you get all the answers out. Right, and yeah, I it, it, when we, when we look at the data from one direction at a time, it's especially difficult to be. You can't be unified. We talk about you know integrated interpretation, and multidisciplinary teams, and blah blah blah. But um, I'd sort of almost rather get. I'd rather have an algorithm look at them all at the same time and get a fuzzy answer than wait X years for all of the experts I need uh, to, to, to look at it and give me a kind of stepwise risk reduction. Sure. Um, yeah, so, but, but it, it's going to take at least us, because <laughs> there's five of us, uh, <laughs> it's going to take us a while to get there. So we're starting with simpler problems like the 1D problem of, rock prediction from uh, electronic wireline uh, logs, wireline readings. See, for me, yeah. uh, optimization means uh, taking a physical system, comparing that to a model, driving down the error in between the two until you come up with some implicit um, driver of the, of the data, which, which is what you're trying to find. So it's an inverse problem that you solve through optimization. There's a lot of that seismic data. The difference between th those types of optimization problems and the types of optimization problems you're talking about in recommendation engines is that you're talking about real numbers. You you're coming up with a waveform, right? Uh, it, it seems like you guys have to come up with a one or a zero, uh, which, which gives some other interesting problems. And uh, Ethan has a note here about integer programming. So... What what is the the integer solution? What does it look like, and, and how do you deal with it? So the so I guess just to clarify, you know, for recommendations, we 
we don't have to just deal with integers. So we get nice floating point numbers, which are both a pain and a pleasure. <laughs> uh, but for, for integer programming, so that relates to kind of another aspect of the business, which is kind of like an area of data science that I feel like is not, not very popular, uh, but it has quite a bit of history to it. So it's more operations research. So the idea behind this is that uh, each month, Maybe I can actually real quickly. I'll explain what my company does. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, there's uh, that. Yeah. So so Birchbox, they, the idea is that you can subscribe to Birchbox. So for ten dollars a month, we will send you five beauty samples that we think that you'll like. So let's say, uh, skincare lotions or shampoos or something like that. Um, so for ten dollars a month, we send you five samples in a box. You try them out, and then we have an online store where you can choose to purchase the full size product. Um, so that online store, that's where we have all of these recommendation algorithms. Uh, but sending you the box each month, that is like an operations research problem because we have limited numbers of samples in our warehouse. Uh, certain brands might not be able to go together in the same box. And the idea is that we want to you know, maximize everybody's happiness with the box that they receive subject to all sorts of constraints. Like we we'll, we have different quantities of samples. We can only put five in a box. Uh, we don't want the different boxes to be too different across different people so that people get upset and things like that. Uh, and so that's where the integer programming comes in because you have to put exactly five samples in a box. You can't put 5.2. Um, and so the idea is that just like everything else, we treat this as an optimization problem. So we want to maximize everybody's happiness. So we define some objective function. Called the uh, happiness quotient. We'll call it the happiness quotient. And then we try to maximize it. Uh, but we all of the variables that come into play, some of them can only take on integer values. And so that makes it a lot harder to solve. So we use this proprietary software called Garobi, which is an integer programming solver. And kind of the way that works is it solves the continuous version of the problem and then tries to relax the variables towards integers to see if those are also valid solutions. Uh, and they're often not. So it's uh, it takes a while to run this thing. Hmm. So longer runs yield better results. Maybe. Or just it just runs for a while and it doesn't solve. <laughs> so that sometimes happens too. Yeah. I see. Yeah, that's an interesting problem. Um, I, I would have no idea where to start because it seems like... Uh, in, the, in terms of uh, wave propagation, my specialty, there's no, there's no physical basis for, for integer-only solutions. You don't just have two rocks, not 2.2 .2 rocks? <laughs> Shows you how little I know about geophysics. I don't do anything with rocks. I do everything with numbers. Fake, just well, you know, models and things like that. So how is that, how is that different from... Because I, I feel like intuitively I would think of that as a classification problem. Um, you know, so if I'm solving for faces like rocks, rock types, uh, I may only have a discrete number of rocks that I'm sort of allowed to have, or I yeah. choose to solve a problem that way. So how, how is that different from a classification problem? So I guess the idea is that like, uh, so classification problem, usually you, you want to predict a one or a zero. Uh, and so you, maybe you feed that through a logistic function in order to kind of have this, this smooth optimization. Uh, but here it's really, uh, I guess the idea is that our objective function is, it really is this, this box happiness score. Um, and 
you can have all of these variables that feed into it, but we're not trying to classify something. We're just, it's yeah. almost more regression like in the sense that we're really just trying to maximize, Happiness. well, not even regression. So like, I guess it's similar to either of these things, right? When you, when you run a regression or a classification, you're trying to, let's say, minimize mean squared error or maximize precision or something like that. And this is just kind of another analogous objective function. I think <laughs> I'm just excited that you guys get to work on things like happiness quotients. Matt and I are here talking about <laughs> limestone. <laughs> it's great because we get to make them up. You just wave your hands and, and you make up a happiness quotient, you know? That's right. <laughs> so uh, my limited experience with data science with data science is um, is this little project that I was working on over the past week or two uh, that I'm calling the Astro Hack, and uh, basically. I found some astronaut biographies online, and so I built a little tool to scrape them and clean them, clean the text to data. And then I did, a, which in and of itself was kind of difficult for me to do because, I, as I said, I only work with uh, data, like um, you know, waveform data or other types of data, but working with text, uh, human language, and trying to turn that into data was kind of tough. So. For me, I'm sure for you, it'd be a breeze, Ethan. Uh, no, no, text is a pain. <laughs> I fully agree. So I did a, a couple of little pieces of analysis on the thing. Um, you know, basically like how, uh, you know, what skills is the current astronaut roster missing? Uh, what combinations of skills in individual astronauts is, is uh, low on the list of, of combinations? And these types of things. Um it was a quickie project, so I didn't do a ton of analysis, but uh, I wrote a little paper, a little silly uh, two-page paper on the thing, and I put it on Twitter and a couple other places, including the Software Underground. You guys should check it out. It's Wong Not Rocks. Uh, it, so I shared it with a couple of the astronauts. I shared it with a couple of the NASA um, branches, and uh, it was kind of passed around a bit, and um, one of the... Uh, one of the uh, Canadian astronaut or uh, commander Chris Hadfield uh, actually shared it on his reposted on his, his Twitter page, which I'm, I'm very grateful for. I'm, I'm glad that he uh, took the time to read it. Um, but he has like two and a half million followers. <laughs> and so um, I absolutely got inundated by uh, requests and shares, and blah, 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 and all this stuff. Um, so it was, it was kind of interesting to see the logistics behind uh, simply dealing with the number of, of uh, or just the noise that, that's associated with lots of people looking at a thing. Um, I, did, I ended up getting over 2 million hits on this thing, and uh, it, was, uh, it was wild. I, I, I'm, I had fun doing it. I didn't think it was going to go anywhere, um, but it was kind of cool. So. Sometime, that's awesome. Yeah, sometime in your spare time, check it out and, and see if uh, I came up with anything interesting. There's it's it's open source. All the stuff's on GitHub, so you can play with the with the um, code if you want. Um, so there. That's great. Did your did your website handle it? Yeah, it sure did. Um, nice. Yeah, it was okay. I my website's little thing that doesn't have a whole bunch of stuff on it. Um, so it was it it was easy. It's on a big enough web server that it was no problem. Um, but yeah, so I, I find the data science experiment fascinating. Um, my passion has always been remote sensing, but 
through modern remote sensing techniques like optimization, I've, I've bumped into many data scientists and, and data science algorithms. And um, it's wonderful stuff. So everybody who's listening to this podcast, go to Ethan Rosenthal's blog and, and read it all because you'll learn a ton. Um, I want to thanks to Ethan uh, for, for coming on the show today. Definitely. Thank you. Had a great time. Matt, do you have anything else before we go? Well, um, no, I, uh, I guess a, a quick plug for next week, um, because uh, I, I, can, can we say who we're talking to? Yes. Yeah, Jessica Ball, uh, who's a volcanologist, uh, blogs at AGU, um, the, the AGU blogosphere. Uh, the American Geophysical Union does an awesome job of social media and, um, and, and running its kind of blogger pool. They're, they're essentially independent, but... Um, you know, they, they all contribute to the agu.org website. Um, anyway, so I'm excited to be talking to her, but it's really cool and actually kind of nice that, um, that we've been delayed in, in actually having a conversation with her because this week she's on a Python, learning Python course. So uh, when we do get to talk to her, um, she, I think she'll have some just interesting things to say about learning to program and the impact she feels it may have on her research and... Uh, you know why she's been on, she's traveled to Wisconsin for this course. So um, I'm I'm kind of interested to to chat to her next week. Yeah. Plus we're going to plus we're going to hear about liquid magma. Uh, plus the magma. There's always the magma. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, so listen up next week. We're going to have a bunch of cool stuff to talk to you about. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, thanks everybody for stopping by, um, and we'll see you next week. Cheers. Bye.